You look around the conference centre you're in. You see 30 brilliant minds from 30 different countries, all with a revolutionary business idea that got them and you this far. But what sets yours apart? This week on Beyond the Ordinary, we're doing things a little differently. Across three mini-episodes, you're going to hear from three former winners of Red Bull Basement. Red Bull Basement is a global programme that empowers student innovators to challenge the status quo and make positive impacts. Now and for the future. We've calculated that that would be enough to save the amount of drinking water for the population of Greater London. So all the brainstorming, all the, you know, crazy ideas that, that Anna and I uh, had, you know, going into it, all kind of happened in the span of two days, right? So it, it, we just had two all-nighters in a row. You were preparing for not winning. And then there's this line with your faces and you're not prepared for that. <laughs> the interviews are hosted by Daniel Cronin, entrepreneur and investor who knows a thing or two about pitching. He's even done it while skydiving. What makes a true entrepreneur for you? I think somebody who is really dedicated about uh, their product, their project, their company, what they are doing. If you really wake up middle of the night, you think about the company. The funny thing is right now, it's so high that it doesn't scare me anymore. Yeah. Oh my goodness. In this second episode of three, we'll hear from Sophie Bolzer, founder and CEO of Audvice company that is revolutionizing how we consume audio. Sophie, so good to be talking to you. How are you today? Good. How are you, Daniel? I am happy as can be. Now, let's kind of go back to zero. And um, assuming people don't know who you are and you would bump into someone in a bar and they suddenly say to you, so Sophie, what is it what you do? What do you tell them? So I would say, first of all, hi, I'm Sophie. Nice to meet you. I'm 29 years old and I'm the founder and CEO of Oddvice. And the first thing maybe that I could mention is the name Oddvice comes from the words audio and advice and kind of says a little bit already about what we are doing. We built a software solution that empowers companies to capture and spread real internal know-how faster with audio. Um, and meanwhile, it's even used by Fortune 500 companies for onboardings, trainings, and internal communication. So this is what my life is all about today. That's quite cool actually <laughs> no, i mean i'm no bias but that sounds fortune 500 companies okay but but let's go back to day zero or maybe even minus mm -hmm. zero what kind of triggered you to say okay there, there's something i need to solve what was is, is there a moment so before I started this company, I did my master's degree in strategic management. Um, and when I was studying, I was commuting a lot between Salzburg and Innsbruck. Um, and at one day I was uh, saving enough money to afford my first car. But then the problem was that the time I spent driving was that time I couldn't use learning. Um, and we had at this time a lot of um, really high pressure knockout exams. So every single minute you could prepare was counting. So I started looking for any kind of podcasts or audiobooks even that uh, I could listen to while I was driving to just really use that time most efficiently. But I didn't really find anything that was relevant or affordable. So at some day, I started to do my own voice recordings um, 
about anything I had to learn and, and listen back to it in the car. And it helped me so much to remember things a lot better. Um, and I managed to kind of master all these exams that were coming up. But the trigger was when I started to talk about that with my fellow students. And then some of me told me that they're doing the same thing, recording and listening back to what they had to study. And I thought, it's a shame that no one is sharing these audio recordings. And, and this was the trigger um, to make me think of a platform for students back then, now companies, obviously, that really makes it easy for people to share and listen or process knowledge better with audio. Now, I'm curious, probably there's a couple of people listening and going, yeah, but I could get the same on a podcast or whatnot. And you just said, no, 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 it's a bit different. Tell us why is your product better or different? Um, it's up to you to choose than just the podcast or someone who's reading the book you need to study. So, I mean, uh, it depends on what kind of target group um, you refer to. Right now, we are targeting um, companies, enterprises. And what our product does, it, it makes corporate podcasting 100% collaborative and enterprise ready. And that's how you can basically use it to not only, you know, push content top down one to many um, for internal communications, but really also bottom up to share real know-how and source knowledge from those who really own it in the organization. In Advisor, a company can go and create their own exclusive audio library um, and let their employees really record, share and listen to content in there without being a professional content creator or podcaster without moving around files or doing any kind of post-production. You are a single founder, right? That's correct. What does that mean? And how do people react to that? I mean, the, the recommendation in the startup scene is always don't be a single founder because, of course, you need to go through so many ups and downs. It's a roller coaster. Um, and it's just really hard to cope with that on your own. Um, but I was always trying from the beginning on to surround myself with people that show so much support and help um, and that never made me feel like I was a single founder. So I found so many um, mentors and friends in other startup founders who were going to, through the same things um, exactly in, in the time where I was um, having these troubles and it was um, so nice to just know that other people are struggling with that as well. And that doesn't make you um, feel lonely or alone with all the problems you have. Um, and then a big part was, of course, also my family and my friends. They were believing in, um, in me and uh, in kind of um, what I want to do with this idea from, like, from the beginning on. And, and that was helping me a lot to find the strength um, to cope with that. That's beautifully put. I mean, there's there's so much in there. And you pointed out there were people you turned to where you could share the struggles and kind of also found, found out, hang on, I'm not the only one who's struggling here. It's okay to struggle. Actually, it's the most normal thing as a founder to struggle. Um, how did you find them? And what was your initial step there? How did I find them? I mean, for example, I think the most important thing is that you're really convinced in what you're doing and that you are able to inspire others. Um, and that you are always passionate um, about it in, in the way you communicate and in the way you talk about it. Um, and if you do that, it makes it much easier to really infect others with that kind of motivation. Um, and uh, when I Can met I uh, Baron... 
I'm sure. so sorry to interrupt, but this is for, <laughs> for me one of these so super important sentences because so many people say, how do I know if it's the right idea or not? And for me, it's always the answer if people are really convinced in it. But how did you know that you were convinced sufficiently in what you were doing? How do you know it was the right idea? I was spending a lot of time in um, research, in having a look at the market, having a look at what is out there. Um, and then I saw there is no other platform doing this. And then, um, of course, you need to validate. So what I did back then um, was I was doing a survey with over 3,000 students. And I was asking them, hey, what do you think of a platform like this? Would you want to use it? Um, what are the struggles you're facing? And then I think 90% of the respondents said, yes, I, I would use such a platform. And um, of course, uh, a big challenge is always people like to listen to content and consume it, but would they also um, be willing to, you know, record themselves and share content? And then um, I think 60% said they would also, they can also imagine to um, kind of contribute to that platform. Um, and that was basically, I think, um, the the answer I needed to be like, this is going to be something and I need to make this happen because people want that. How long did that take between the initial idea, hey, this could be awesome, until that moment? <laughs> I think like from the idea to the working product, it probably took two years. Um, also considering that pivot, which definitely costs a bit of time. But so from what's the, a pivot? Um, Gotta a ask pivot it <laughs> a pivot is if you um, kind of really change the direction in which you want to go. Maybe change the product, change your target group, um, but uh, kind of going back to zero. Why did you do that? Um, I mean, first of all, because there was just no market when it comes to students. We wanted to build a successful, um, sustainable startup. We wanted to earn money and that, that was just not happening. There were also a lot of, a lot of other road bumps on the way. Um, for example, uh, copyrights um, and stuff like that and um, how you monetize it. And then our way led us. And it's interesting that you said you're a university lecturer earlier because um before we started to use it for companies, we were um, actually, advice was used from university lecturers to do blended and flipped learning with that. So in the classroom of like three, 30 people, they were using it um, to kind of do assignments, to um, summarize something, but not um, in text, but in audio format um, or uh, practicing presentations or something like that with it. And um uh, and then actually Red Bull Basement happened. I mean, early on, we were already thinking of going into the B2B market because we were looking for ways to monetize it. Then you say, okay, 90% said, okay, they would like it. 60% they would want to contribute, but you're really doing your groundwork there, doing the part that's unpleasant that sucks that's not glorious it's just brutal hard work then you create your first prototypes and then you mentioned that you had to pivot i believe twice and pivoting means that you have reached an end where most people would probably say this will not work i need to give up or you turn direction and and, and talk me through that i mean i'm assuming you you're there you're motivated you're saying hey i'm going to conquer the world and suddenly your data and the feedback is going and saying no, it's actually not working. 
oh, this is bad. And I'm assuming you'll have that moment where you go like, we're done. Or we take a detour and go back 25 steps or 50 steps. How did you do that mentally? Who helped you through that? Or what was your mindset there? I mean, this is this was definitely a rough time because um, you you have a product and you see a bunch of people are using it, totally different target groups. But you, at that time, um, we never had that feeling. Okay, now we hit product market fit, um, and now we can fully position ourselves in this way, and then people will buy it. Um, and then you feel like, um, okay, is this? solving a real pain for any of these target groups or is there just a bit of interest um and um that that was the hardest time for us shortly before that pivot actually um but i mean you have to just you know dive through that all and and still like i said surround yourself with people who um who tell you hey no don't give up let's let's do this there is still like um something to to build and um this is not the end i'm just um, listening and, and i'm so curious then actually, about one thing and that's the the mindset and Daniel? the me mental part because for me i'm a huge sports fan as well and if you look into sports there's great people and there's the greatest and and the difference between them is just the ones who are mentally that bit stronger and usually they get that additional bit of mental strength by going through adversity, by having moments that really crash them down to rock bottom. And then they work hard and they come back strong. And for the Formula One fans out there, for example, Ayrton Senna 1989 crashed in Monte Carlo, yeah. leading by a minute, and it destroyed him. And it led to him working on his mental abilities, stronger and stronger and stronger. And that was what set him apart from so many after that. Crash, crashing down, crashing out coming back strong and i'm thinking a pivot like that is probably something which is horrible but the ones who get through it she says yes it is yes so okay let me share a bit of my mindset here um so i try to be very self-reflective and uh, be aware of my own behaviors and also be aware of others intentions so if someone comes to me and says hey this is a shitty product um, I would not take that personally right away, but I would, um, you know, think critical about what is the background of this person. Are they able to assess if this is a shitty product or not? Are they aligning with my values? So, um, and then um, I might take feedback um, more serious or not so serious. So this is a really important filter because you would, will get feel, feedback from all kinds of persons um, along the way. And you should be very... Um, selective in what you um, kind of choose, you, choose to pick up or not. And then there is actually another thing. Um, of course, I seek a lot of energy in people who support me, um, but I seek as much energy in people who don't believe in me because <laughs> um, that pushes me even more um, because I cannot wait for the moment to happen um, where I make this successful business and um, where I can prove them wrong. Your first customer was a Fortune 500 company. And normally these companies are like impossible to reach, especially if you have an untested product. And I'm assuming there'll be a lot of people that said, no, come back in three years. No, we've got something else. And then also, Working with one of these big companies means it takes ages and the processes and getting through all these different departments. Like just in a couple of short sentences, 
how how did that work out? How did you get your as a, as a single founder get a Fortune 500 company as your first paying customer? So why I'm mentioning Red Bull Basement all the time is exactly because of the reason you mentioned you're a tiny startup. How are you convincing a Fortune 500 company to work with you when nobody knows who you are? Um, so after we won Red Bull Basement, we got so much attention and credibility. Um, and that was helping us to win over um, these companies to work with us. Um, and and this is the most important thing. You need to um, kind of achieve some kind of credibility from the outside, from other people who say, hey, this is cool, um, and able to uh, convince others as well. Because if you preach yourself, this is great, we have something innovative, it will solve your problems, that's a nice thing, but people always react based on FOMO, fear of missing out, um, and um, having other people validating something first before they try it. Um, so this is very important. And of course, I mean, um, there are a lot of really, really innovative, um, open-minded companies out there that are much more willing to take risks um, and that believe in innovation to help them to be um, kind of ahead of their competition on the long run. So they would be much more willing to try out new products and work with startups. Um, and this is definitely a trend um, that is growing massively. So um, there are a lot of companies out there. You might have an easier life targeting them first than the most conservative company who is not digitized yet um, and who will probably cost you more time and money than um, kind of bringing you any further. So you're in Toronto. Um, you've, you've made it to the finals. Um, I believe the pitch was two, three minutes long. What's going through your mind standing backstage before you walk out on stage? How do you feel? I mean, we were totally nervous. I was pitching together with Nadine um, and we were knowing the pitch by heart. Um, we scripted it, we recorded it with advice. And um, the night before the pitch, we actually both um, had the earpods um, in and were listening to, to, to the whole pitch over and over again to really nail it. I was feeling so confident um, and I really tried to, you know, stand straight, um, to have an open body language, um, to have both feet um, on the ground, like your weight balance between both of them, which I think is really important. Um, and then also I was looking at Nadine because she gave me comfort and I gave her comfort. We were like telling each other, hey, we can do this. We are well prepared. Um, we are going to enjoy this. We're going to have fun. And then we were standing on stage. Um, and because we both um, knew the pitch by heart, also um, the parts, what the other person would say, I knew exactly what was Nadine's lines, basically. And then you're sitting backstage and then it's time to announce the winning teams. And then you're waiting. And then suddenly... They made a yeah. show out of it. They, they let us wait for a very long time and you get nervous and nervous and nervous. And then we were like, I mean, we went to Toronto saying we want to win this. And then after everyone was pitching, we saw, okay, this is serious competition out there. I mean, it's okay if we don't win it. <laughs> um, that's what we told ourselves. But of course, you still have the ambition to win it. Um, and then shortly before the announcement, you're like, okay, how am I acting if, if there's not our slide on the picture? This is what you focus on to, you know, still be um, friendly and nice and have a positive attitude um, and don't be disappointed because everyone else deserved it in that room as well. Um, 
So you were focusing on, okay, what happens if like you were preparing for not winning? And then there's this line with your faces and you're not prepared for that. <laughs> and then the excitement was, of course, huge. I mean, I was looking at Nadine. She, she was looking at me and we're like, what the fuck? Just, it's just <laughs> happening. Um, and we were hugging each other and um, there was just such an adrenaline um, kick rushing Up through for, my body yeah. at this time. Uh, that, was, um, that was really cool. Sweet, I love it. So you walk on stage, you announce the winner, you receive the cup, and then talk us through the, the next days, weeks, months. I mean, you already said you got your first big customer through winning Basement. It was um, giving us so much attention that all of a sudden uh, companies started approaching us and were like, hey, have you ever thought about using your product for um, workforce learning, for internal learning and development? Because um, in essence, you're solving a really big time and resource problem. Um, and that is much of a bigger pain for us than for students because we expect our employees to continuously learn, to share knowledge, to retain knowledge in the, uh, in the organization. Um, and I mean, that's what your product does. So uh, this is where we finally got the confirmation, or of course, that B2B market is interesting. But like I said earlier, there, there was interest, but not yet. Um, someone who said, okay, you know, putting money on the table and said, I'm buying this. So this is also a process that takes a bit of time. You need to pitch the product. You need to talk to all um, the people who um, make these decisions in these companies. Um, and and that takes a bit of time and it takes a lot of energy. And um, this is a learning process for you as well. Now, Sophie, as, as closing questions, um, I think you're a very smart visionary founder. I want to ask you two questions. <clears throat> the first one is, what is a prediction you're happy to make in public now about a change that's going to come soon? And the second question is, what's your personal moonshot? And with moonshot, I mean, based on the great JFK, um, what is this big thing you're looking forward to, you're willing to drive, which is so difficult, and so tricky, but you're willing to do because it's hard? And this could be over a decade or longer. What is a moonshot? So what's a prediction? Totally going to happen, straightforward. And what's a moonshot? A really big visionary picture. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a minute or two to think. And while you do that, I'll try and summarize what we learned. And because you're smart, you can use one ear to listen in if it kind of makes sense. Okay, how about that? So we've kind of learned over the last couple of minutes um, how you can get out of your childhood bedroom and conquer Fortune 500 company and what kind of steps you need. And for that, the most important thing is to have a very clear picture, to have a very clear vision, to be brave enough to talk about it. And probably if a, if a child it was a little bit big-headed, it means that she or he might be on the right way to becoming quite an interesting entrepreneur. We learned it's very much about having a vision, but even more about doing your groundwork, not just trusting your gut feeling, but really being prepared to go the extra mile and to make the difference. It's about convincing others of your big idea and having them follow you. And also, on the other hand, very much about testing. Is that initial idea something worth? We understood that there were these famous 300 people who gave you feedback, that that was the right thing you were working on. We understood that was your moment of truth. And at the same time, we saw how important it is to be reflected at all times. Uh, entrepreneurship as sports is very much a mental game. And that's something you have to learn as much as any other ability. You need to be able to handle good feedback and bad feedback and be smart enough to also distinguish between the two of them. 
You need to seek people from whom you're willing to learn and to drive them forward and have them drive you forward as well. You need to create credibility. And you also said, quite interestingly, if there's one job a founder has, then it is about building your network, about getting out there, about creating outreach. And you also understood that Red Bull Basement was a great opportunity for you to show what you're made of and to show the world how they can profit from advice in order to drive positive change. We also understood that, well, it's absolutely perfectly fine to be nervous. It's okay to have doubt as long as you're happy and willing enough to overcome it. And we also understood that the first few seconds of every pitch are what defines what you're made of. Long story short, we also learned from you that everyone's pretending that they don't really have a clue. It's about having a little more clue than the others and to be dumb enough to have good ideas or to be smart enough to have good ideas and dumb enough to actually make them work. And at the end of the day, you also said that no one should stop you. And I'd like to add to that, I'm convinced there's no one that can stop you other than yourself. That bought you about two minutes time. Now it's time for your prediction. And your moon. All right. Now I have a prediction. My prediction is that audio will become more important than video. I really think that because we are spending up to 13 hours a day in front of our screens. Um, and this is causing some serious, serious health issues. But not only that, it's just really hard to reflect if you are watching something, if you are in front of a screen all the time. Um, and I think that more and more people realize that audio is um, giving them so much more value, much more time efficiently, because they can listen to it um, away from their screen. They can use that time more productively. It's just a matter of finding the relevant audio content um, for yourself. And this is what we, in essence, want to help, help um, companies with to kind of source the real relevant know-how. So I think this is definitely going to happen sooner or later, um, and we will be in the midst of it. And then I have a moonshot, and um, my moonshot is um, about uh, kind of being a female founder. For me, it's very important to have female role models, um, and there are a few in particular I look up to. Um, and what is inspiring me so much about them is that they are really able to kind of be tough, but be still very feminine. Um, and I think that has always been somehow a contradiction. And for some people it might still be, but I think it should not be. So um, this is something where I really would like to see the world going in um, kind of uh, allowing a woman to be feminine, but to still be tough um, and to kind of, yeah, have that both. Um, that's my moonshot. Sophie Bolzer, CEO of Oddvice and the winner of Red Bull Basement 2019. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot. It was nice to be here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. You can find out more about Red Bull Basement and even apply yourself at redbullbasement.com. And remember, there's still one more episode to come in our three-part mini-series featuring 2018 winners vacant. If you're new to the show, then there are loads more episodes from seasons two and three to check out, all packed with amazing stories from people who push themselves beyond the ordinary.